AVXL episode 205 was recorded on May 24th, 2023. It's just Max now. TVOS 16.5 is all about sports. Do spendy DACs make an audible difference? TCL QM8 TVs are hitting the stores. Got that and quite a bit more. Don't forget, email ask at avxl.com if you got an audio, video, headphone, streaming, or any other AV-related question for us. And thank you, seriously, thank you, to everyone that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. You make this podcast possible. Testing, one, two, three. All right, I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AV Excel, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. I might be a little mellow today. It is sunny, hot and sunny here in St. Louis. And it's funny you should mention HBO Max, now being Max, because I got home from work yesterday and my wife was like, you need to update HBO or Max or whatever it is. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Well, I, I okay. So, it's, you know, twenty third was I guess the flip day, and you know I'm all, I fire up the Apple TV and you launch the HBO Max icon because it's a significant part of reviewing lifestyle and uh, it's basically like yeah, go find Max. This this application is dead. <laughs> And so you go in and you, you log in and you find it and you download it. And then you realize, oh, you know, I have to pull the HBO Max icon down and slide the Max icon up. And then suddenly you're scrolling and you're like, wow, that's a lot of weird ass discovery shows I've never heard about and have no interest in watching. Um. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least Apple on the Apple TV platform made that fairly clear as to what the situation was on mm. my roommate's TV, which is a newer Samsung and the Tizen platform they have, it effectively lets you launch the HBO Max app, and then it would give you an error saying that you were in uh, some other country, and it was inaccessible. It it didn't actually direct you toward the new Max app, and it wasn't until we actually fired up the living room TV that has an Apple TV on it that always made clear. So yeah, if you are rolling with a TV or a streaming box in of some kind, do be sure to grab the new Max app and replace it. Replace the HBO Max app or just delete it and move on. <laughs> oh, my goodness. With there the new experience. Is, yeah, no, there is one thing worth noting. Uh, the the uh, HBO, excuse me, Warner Brothers, excuse me, Max. We'll just call it Max. Um, Max.com. They're claiming, and I haven't, yeah, Max.com, whatever it is. <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> Wherever I get my next round of Game of Thrones prequel, sequel, future, sci-fi, whatever, it, it, you guys know what I'm talking about. The story is, though, they have over a thousand movies and TV episodes in 4K at launch. The really cynical part of me um, wants to be like, how many of those are for, you know, weird semi-reality shows about people with too many children I don't want to watch? But again, we mentioned it before, right? Uh, Game of Thrones, The Last of Us, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings trilogy, The Dark Knight trilogy, The Matrix films uh, are all supposed to be in glorious 4K. And when I say glorious, like Dolby Vision, HDR10, Dolby Atmos Audio, where it's available. So, you know, uh, this is this is good. You're going to be paying for the ultimate subscription, but, you know, if you are a video enthusiast, if you enjoy your 4K lifestyle, it's probably worth keeping on that one. So, I'm trying to think, like, 
Yeah, they're actually they are. They actually are upgrading some of the older HBO series in 4K. So All right. Benefits. More as I give up my relationship with my wife and children and invest the rest of the month in looking for 4K content on Max. <laughs> That's not way at all. So uh, Netflix did an update today, and it basically like the spiel, the blurb on uh, Netflix.com is, quote, Starting today, we will be sending this email to members who are sharing Netflix outside their household in the United States. And it's basically a reminder that a Netflix account is for use by one household. Everyone living in that household can use Netflix wherever they are, at home, on the go, or on holiday. They don't get super specific on what not living in the household means. Uh, So, you know, whether or not your child in college qualifies as outside the household or not remains to be seen, at least for me. Um... But the options they give you are pretty specific. Buy an extra member for 8 bucks a month, or you can transfer their profile to their new accounts, or you can go into basically check who's using Netflix going into the Manage Access devices and dump anybody you don't recognize. And I will say, if you're a password share, it might not be a bad idea every so often to just sweep out all the devices you don't recognize or just all the devices and start over again. Uh, <laughs> I should probably do that very thing. Time to give the account a quick checkup. Mm. Before I get the email. <laughs> There's some sports news going on this week. Um, one of which I'm not surprised by, but I did not really expect to see in my lifetime. ESPN, baby. They are, <laughs> at least according to a Wall Street Journal article, are looking to finally bring the ESPN experience to a standalone app basically to replace that experience you would have and that would require, say, a cable or satellite subscription or something Mm -hmm. like your streaming live TV service. Now, they already have some streaming services available in the form of like ESPN+, but that really didn't give you the full access to everything available on, say, the main ESPN cable channel, per se. And what they will be doing, according to something being dubbed internally as Project Flagship, Uh, They are looking to deliver those quote-unquote primetime goods to you as a standalone streaming platform for Hmm. all things sports. And I think for some people, especially if you are a cable or satellite subscriber, one of the prime reasons might be just to have access to ESPN in the first place. And then if you could supplant that with just a standalone subscription, since that is all you really wanted in the first place, I think this is a good move. It will hopefully also incorporate all things, you know, that you may have accessed through ESPN Plus and other forms of ESPN.com or whatever. Uh, But having ESPN and the sports available there as a standalone subscription service is coming soon. And I think that will make some sports fans quite happy. We shall see. (laughs) We shall see. Apple TV OS 16.5. So... Generally speaking, when Apple TV does an update, it's essentially like, you know, security and performance enhancements and and not a whole lot of detail. This was actually a big upgrade if you were a sports ball person. Yeah. Similar to what I want to say Roku did with an update Mm -hmm. not too long ago, but it's bringing multi-view support in the Apple TV app for watching, quote unquote, up to four live sporting events at once on Apple TV 4K. And it will be available for MLS Season Pass and Friday Night Baseball, and includes performance and stability improvements that you had just mentioned as well. 
I was also kind of curious too. It, is it just coincidence that 16.5 for the tvOS version is similar to what they have for iOS in terms of the current version number? Do they try to keep those on in parity, so to speak, or similar? I don't know. It's probably just coincidental, but anyway. So many coincidences. <laughs> Apple TV. It's a good platform, especially if you have a family of Apple TV devices in the home. Oh, my goodness. I, I, yeah. Don't get me started, or, or I'll, I'll get on my list of strange and wondrous things my Apple TV does that solves problems I didn't know I would have if I didn't have an Apple TV. It's weird. I thought I was just investing in the platform because I'd bought so much content on there years and years and years ago. Um, yeah. TCML QM8 showing up in stores. This is, I mean, is this finally the mini LED we've been waiting for for so many years? <laughs> it is. I spent a good many, a good, a good amount of time, many minutes at CES back in January in Las Vegas, checking this TV out in person. And it will be available 4K resolution, 65, 75, 85, and a massive 98-inch screen size. Whoa. They're describing it as a, a bezel-less design for an LCD television. And while the bezels are remarkably thin, it is really not what I would call bezel-less per se, especially right. if you've happened to put eyes on something like Samsung's QN900 series 8K TVs with their infinity screen design that that is what i call bezel-less that is but truly amazing looking although that is a very expensive tv series uh, as far as samsung's 8k tvs go anyway <laughs> i'm just saying like, if you're upgrading if if your television is old enough to have had like a half inch to two inch plastic band around the screen this is going to seem pretty bezel-less by comparison indeed indeed i Checked right now, and the 65, 75, and the 85-inch screen sizes are currently available at your usual suspect uh, places and shopping places <laughs> in particular. Amazon has the 85-inch for $2,500 right now, which is already a little bit below the MSRP price. The 75-inch nice. is currently listed for $2,000, and the 65-inch is at $1,500. And they are claiming up to 2,000 nits of light output with a quantum dot LED design in terms of the backlighting system. It is being powered by Google TV, which is kind of meh in my mind. I only hope that the QM8's processor is going to be beefy enough to maintain a smooth experience over the long haul. That's my primary gripe with TVs like, say, Sony's over time uh, with Google TV updates it just tends to become a little chunky over the long haul. I would hope they uh, spend the extra 10 cents for a decent processor on these things and uh, give me something. Otherwise, you know what? You will always have the option to install a streaming box of your choice, be it an Apple mm -hmm. TV, Roku, what have you. Anywho. Uh, <laughs> just buy the box. <laughs> I did see some initial first looks on, on YouTube. Uh, Stop the FOMO, that wonderful reviewer, and some of his friends had a side-by-side -side comparison with an LG OLED and a recent Hisense model. And it compared quite favorably to that LG OLED in terms of its uh, hmm. contrast performance, as well as, well, it's hard to say with black level, and this was being streamed over YouTube. In terms of those three being compared together, the LG OLED and the new QM8 were the closest looking in terms of detail preservation. And overall, 
The one thing I will say, though, about the QM8, it is more on the premium side of TVs in terms of the pricing. Uh, 65 right. inches for 1500 bucks. I went and looked up the last year's LG C2 OLED. That is currently mm-hmm. about 1550 to $1,600 for a 65-inch screen. So what then you're going to get with something like the QM8 is going to be that 2,000 nits of light output, roughly more than twice the light output of something like an LG C2 OLED. If light output is important to you, this is a good TV to keep an eye on, so to speak. Uh, that mini LED technology should provide good local dimming performance, so you maintain hopefully a minimum of blooming artifacts. I doubt in a side-by-side comparison it's going to compete with something like an OLED, which is an emissive display that can literally turn off right. individual pixels to make them perfectly black. But having mini LED technology does seem to help in terms of providing a better contrast and right. performance in a picture. Well, we've talked about it before. There's, there's two basic paths to increasing contrast, which is something your eyeballs are pretty sensitive to. One is the OLED route, which is turning off pixels, so you have an absolute black. And the other one is making the screen as bright as possible, so the very, 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 very dark gray that pretends to be black looks much blacker than it actually is because all the pixels around it that are displaying other colors are stupidly bright by comparison. Um, you know, this is obviously pursuing the latter path. Heck yeah. Uh, some <laughs> other quick features of the QM8 series will be that it does support all the flavors of HDR you would be interested in, including nice. Dolby Vision, HDR10+, HLG, and so forth. It will also incorporate gaming features like auto low latency mode and variable refresh rate with something they're claiming up to 240 hertz VRR gaming. Uh, considering they also describe this as 120 hertz panel, I'm a little confused as to what that 240 VRR gaming feature might be, but either way, it's got that kind of technology in it for folks who want to do gaming at 4K resolution and at good frame rates and having that feature automatically enabled as such. And I'm pleased it also has the quantum dot technology. And when I'm looking at something like an 85-inch screen size, that price at $2,500 on the street Mm -hmm. right now isn't bad when you compare that to something, say, like, and I will be curious to see how this compares to something like, say, the QN90 or the 95 from Samsung. That, in terms of last year's model, is about the same price currently. If you were shopping for the 2023 version of that Samsung TV, mm-hmm. you're talking almost twice the price uh, of what this 85-inch QM8 is going for currently. So for big screen performance, for something that can dump out 2,000 nits of light output, this might be that 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 sweet spot between performance and screen size and the resolution, of course. But uh, Got it. it should be competing nicely with what I consider upper tier 4K televisions. And I'm really looking forward to like the folks at ratings getting their hands on this and really putting it through the ringer in terms of testing. That'll be an interesting one to see. Coming um, soon. Coming soon. Hey, remember CD players when there was a box that went in your stereo rack next to your receiver or your amplifier and your preamp that played CDs? Or in the car. Um, <laughs> or in the car. The car is a good place for it. Oh. So I've, I've mentioned uh, Cambridge Audio has this really slick, really stylish, uh, very compact. Their Evo all-in-one players, the Evo 150 and Evo 75. That's for 75 watts per channel, 150 watts per channel, class D amplification. Um you know, they support pretty much all of the streaming, which I am an enthusiastic fan of. Uh, they have a small LCD panel on the front, a beautiful 
beautiful uh, knob on their volume knob because, you know, I can't give up volume knobs. Uh, the amplification is Hypex Encore uh, amplifier modules, which is really, really slick. They do pretty much every streaming uh, platform you want. Like Stream Magic is what they kind of call their platform for that. But Stream Magic, you know, it's set up to support uh, Rune, MQA powered Tidal, Master, Spotify Connect, Apple AirPlay 2, Chromecast, Cobuzz. And now, ladies and gentlemen, they have the $1,200 Evo CD compact disc transport, which, you know, is in the same sort of square format stacks nicely with the Evo 75 or the Evo 150. Uh, they brought that online this month. I rip my discs, but if you want that slide into the trade vibe, you know, if you're not into dropping the needle, but you'd like a trade to drop your CD into, Cambridge Audio has some love for you. So, it is a beautiful looking box. I will give it that. And the side panels are replaceable, and, you know, there's a lot of nice materials in those. Um, the LCD is kind of the LCD layout's pretty thoughtful. It's kind of a in between a standalone MP3 player and and something a little more spacious and sophisticated. Um, nice piece of kit, as they say, and uh, I guess. Uh, but the, I did not expect a CD transport to come out. It's been a long time since I've seen a new CD player. Still, my favorite format for audio <laughs> enjoyment. <laughs> I have hundreds in storage. Um, which I ripped a flack and yes. then on the server. Oh my goodness! We uh, we've been uh, taking some time to thank all of our patrons, the people that have supported the AVXL podcast over the years, and uh, we've been working away from the very very first subscribers and working our way closer and closer to 2023. Right now we are in July of 2018. Ian McCone, Malcolm Lacey, Dale and Julie Huber, Richard, Robert Ballantyne. Thank you, thank you, thank you your support of Robert and I and the AVXL podcast. Your monthly contributions make this happen. If you're curious, do us a favor, head over to patreon.com slash AVXL to learn more. Man, James has a question for Robert. He posted up on Patreon. Yeah, he did. Still working my way through the episode right here with Corey regarding streaming my music. Um, he was basically, uh, Corey Dransfeld on Corey.dev was asking, how would you go about creating an audio streaming service for your personal, your own collection of musical files? But James follows up. He goes, uh, on another note, what are your thoughts on what's going on with ATSC3? It seems like broadcasters are working to lock it all away. Yep. It is appearing to be the case, at least for some of the the primary broadcasters out there, like your ABC, NBC, CBS affiliates, so to speak. Antenna Man and Lawn.TV on YouTube are covering this subject on their respective YouTube channels. And if you mm -hmm. are interested in next-gen broadcasts, a.k.a. ATSC 3.0, I do suggest following them and getting up to date in terms of what the current tuners are capable of, what tuners are currently available. And one of the current issues is that the existing tuners that are available to people right now for ATSC 3.0, AKA next gen, they will require a firmware update to be compatible with DRM enabled broadcasts that are already starting to appear in certain markets. If you are so blessed with the broadcast signal of ATSC 3.0. And if you are an early adopter of this next-gen over-the-air broadcast technology, uh, these encrypted channels will probably prevent you from accessing, recording, or distributing that content 
the way you may have been currently or the way you even want to or see fit. Now, for everyone with one of these tuners, you are probably still waiting for a DRM compliant update for your hardware tuner or your software package. And I think really one open question that they propose uh, as far as Antenna Man and Lawn TV go, will this DRM actually require the use of an active internet connection to take advantage of over-the-air broadcasts that are enabling DRM? And uh, the short answer is nobody really knows yet, but your gear will require access to that decryption key at least one time. And then maybe afterwards, after it's stored that key, it could then be offline and then stream that DRM protected content or at least access it and let you do what you want with it from that point forward. Uh, bottom line really is that if you're dealing with DRM enabled channels over this new broadcast format, that could very well prevent you from, and this is really up to the broadcaster, it could prevent you from not only recording that content the way you want on a DVR you've set up, but also just simply distributing it and streaming it to devices and apps and platforms throughout your house or in your pocket on the go. And some of the, the, the cool flexibility, at least, that people have enjoyed in the early days of ATSC 3.0. But this does not apply to every channel. It's only certain channels that are currently being encrypted. And again, we are still kind of in the very early days of this, and we are still waiting for updates to some of the hardware we have so that we can even take advantage of this DRM-enabled content if we want to, <laughs> in some means or way. Anyway, I, I mean, it seems like figuring out, one of the big things about ATS 3.0 seems to be figuring out ways for broadcasters to make additional revenue off of the, you know, the, the, the airwaves they own. So this is true. It is expensive to do, apparently, and they need the money like anyone else <laughs> to keep it coming. Oh, my goodness. We've got a great question from Gary M. Emailed ask at avxl.com. He says, I've listened to your podcast for years, but I'm not sure if you've addressed this topic. I know your fans of Brent Butterworth. Until recently, he was hosting a podcast along with Dennis Berger for the Soundstage Network. Um, that podcast ended when uh, when Brent went full-time to work at the Wirecutter. Uh, Gary adds, uh, in episode four, they discussed the importance or lack thereof of adding a standalone DAC to your system. I tend to roll my eyes at the YouTube channels who review different DACs seemingly daily and are able to hear a night and day difference between each one, but I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on the matter. Thanks. Um, I have not heard all of that episode uh, of the Soundstage Audiophile podcast. It's episode four, Cryogenically Frozen Kitty Litter, which I suspect they were mocking as a uh, tool for improving the sound of speakers or God knows what. Um, but Brent and Dennis, uh, these are serious people with a lot of experience, especially Brent, um, in figuring out, you know, solid ways of testing and evaluating audio gear. Uh, and I've read the articles that are referenced uh, in that podcast uh, and talking about DACs and blind testing. The Trouble with Blind Testing by Brent Butterworth and Dennis Berger is how much difference do DACs really make? So the TLDR version of this is the difference between most properly implemented DACs in terms of how much they influence or impact what you hear is incredibly small. Um, I think it was uh, Dennis Berger's article who, who points out that, uh, no, excuse me, it was Brent Butterworth's article that talks about how like one of the viewers is like, eh, it's like a 5% difference, right? After they've done this sort of blind test listing to all these different DACs. When you hear people 
reviewing products and there's a tremendous amount of hyperbole you know the the notes hung in the air spatially and it had that sort of chocolate vibe with a thunderous bass that made me think of you know hypertunal you know what i mean like i'm, I'm mocking here but um one of the things that happens when you do blind testing and sean olive over at uh, at Harmon did uh uh, some of the uh, really great work on this. Uh, he did an audio engineering society report where they took three sets of speakers, right? Big, massive, manly speakers of impact and style and some really, really small speakers, you know, with a subwoofer that, you know, looked like, you know, a couple of packets of playing cards compared to the giant manly speakers. And these are my descriptions, not Mr. Dr. Uh, Olive's descriptions. And then there's a the third set of speakers that were like bookshelf speakers. And they did a cited evaluation where people rated the three sets of speakers and the big speakers got like nines and the tiny speakers got like fours and the medium speakers got like four and a halfs. And then they pulled an acoustically transparent curtain in front of the three sets of speakers and they ran the same test files again and everything was acoustically batched within, you know, like a half decibel or decibel of each other, probably closer um, because they have the resources. And they played the, the demonstration tracks back and basically everything got the same damn score. I'm exaggerating ah. slightly, but, you know, a lot of times when you take, you know, especially audio sources, and you hide them so that the person making the evaluation cannot see it, there's less of a difference. You know, when you do a blind test, there's a lot of times where people can't actually hear the difference between things. It doesn't always work that way. Uh, I'm of the opinion that amps and DACs really shouldn't have a sound. You know, you might have one you like, uh, you know, the, that phrase euphonic noise, like, you know, odd things that sound good to you or odd tunings that sound good to you. Um, right. But the amplifier should just make whatever's coming out of the of the source sound louder. <laughs> you know, the DAC should properly do the math on the audio file to interpret it for you. Um, you know, are there amplifiers that change the way you know, your speakers sound because of some intrinsic, you know, interaction between them or because maybe it's a terrible, you know, amplifier that drops off at 50 or 100 hertz? Absolutely. Or maybe it cuts off the high end, right? There's a lot of older amplifiers did a lot of weird things. But today's amplifier designs, you know, they should be a flat line from below what your ear can hear to above what your ear can hear. And they should just make the stuff coming out of the source louder for your speakers. Um, you know, Dennis Berger, you know, both articles basically suggest that your money is, is better thrown at speakers or headphones, your sources, you know, the things that actually make a huge difference in what you hear. Um, or I, you know, my interpretation of that, you know, expensive DACs, there's companies out there that charge thousands and at least one I can think of, I think they charge $18,000 for their DAC. And I, I know several audiophile reviewers that insist that this is the only pure interpretation of the digital audio format that is acceptable. But, you know, they're also generally loaned these $18,000 DACs. They're not going, you know, can I really hear the difference between this and like a JDS Labs Atom? It would be hysterical to do a blind A-B test with, again, levels matched, like a $100 DAC and an $18,000 DAC. Maybe the $18,000 DAC will sound like angels have come from the you know Onosphere and tapped on my eardrums, but I'm betting most people won't be able to consistently decide which was, you know, which was better. You know, that's it's interesting to start getting sciency in blind testing. Uh, but Dennis Berger put it pretty simply, if you're simply itching to upgrade your system, you'd probably be far better off taking 
taking the money you would have invested in an outboard DAC upgrade and spending it on some inexpensive acoustical treatments for your first reflection points if you haven't done so already. That will make far more audible and measurable improvements to the quality of sound reaching your ears than any DAC upgrade ever will, assuming the DAC you already using is well designed. The good news is most of the ones built into modern hi-fi gear absolutely are. You know, laptops, desktops, phones, you know, not always, but, you know, in many cases, their DACs are very, very well implemented. Um, Unfortunately, sort of in modern phones, right, you don't have a headphone jack, so then you get an outboard headphone DAC amp, um, or you're in a noisy environment, or you want superior amplification for your high-maintenance headphones. So there's lots of reasons for using outboard devices. But generally speaking, if you read this article or saw the YouTube video, you know, where, you know, some guy's twiddling his hipster mustache and talking about his really, really great wine collection and how he really didn't hear music until he bought the, or, you know, was loaned the AP4000 Super Mega DAC of Joy, um, it's probably not the difference you think it is, especially if, you say, somebody sneaks in, installs the DAC, and, you know, <laughs> doesn't tell you it's in there. You know, it's really awkward when, you know, somebody comes in and, and they're like, yeah, I don't, I don't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, bias confirmation, the idea that I spent money, therefore things sound better, it's pretty much why, you know, people buy audio cables, or as Rob and I were laughing about before the show, $600 used silver power cables for their stereo equipment. Um, I think for the regular know, person, it's good just to remember that as well. We are, we have, <laughs> it's easy for us to have biases in terms yeah. of just... Uh, be it especially when it's something that you you don't have to use all senses for per se right. so at least in terms of things like speaker technology maybe it's a little more difficult with headphones where you actually have to put them on yeah. to, to eliminate those kind of biases uh, in terms of how something looks and your expectations suddenly right. changing that is where if you can have a friend go with you and help a, B, something in a blind matter in, in, in mm -hmm. the store I'm thinking or you're in the listening room of your favorite hi-fi store That'd go a long way, I think, toward narrowing yeah. a choice down or, you know, when it comes down to one or the other, hopefully, hopefully it'll keep yeah. you from just throwing money at it simply based on a look <laughs> rather than the actual performance of it in terms of either your, your ears that, or your eyes. Eyes yeah. are a little trickier. I'm thinking of things like TVs and trying to do valid comparisons without but, introducing biases, but... That's all about room environment more than anything, right. really, in terms of, of uh, that, how you're though, setting yourself up. There's fairly strict broadcast standards for what constitutes an acceptable or a properly calibrated television. Things get way weirder in the audio world, especially if you're looking at the stereo or the audiophile side of the, of the audio world. Uh, and people, people get silly ideas. On the TV side of it, too, I will be honest and say that the calibrated picture mode is probably the one that's going to score rather low compared to some of the other presets available <laughs> for most people in most right. room environments. They want something with a little extra punch or a little extra right. crispness to that picture, which may not be faithful to the original content, but it visually grabs them or engages them a little bit more so. So that's why you have things like day and night presets or a, right. a dark room preset and a bright room preset and the ability to hopefully take advantage of those in the products you're, you're using currently. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's similar, right? Everybody's pin A are different. Everybody's ear canals are different. People have different preferences. So, you know, that, you know, as much as I rag on certain, especially incredibly expensive headphones that sound really odd compared to what, you know, 
a, a relatively right. neutral frequency response curve is. They have their market and people love them. Uh, funny comment from our listener, Tom Kane. He emailed acidavxl.com. If YouTube had trouble with the NBA playoffs, I dread what they're going to do after I lay down the money for the NFL Sunday ticket. Love your work, Tom. Uh, <laughs> you know, one, thank you, Tom. Hopefully, you know, that was a one-time glitch that they've sorted out. I mean, part of what's crazy about YouTube is they have more expertise in streaming ridiculous amounts of video all over the planet simultaneously than probably any other company on the planet. So if they can't work out, you know, feeding all of the football to all of the people on Sunday, I got nothing. (laughs) I actually managed to go to a proper sports bar last night that had at least 40 screens and they put on the, uh, the Celtics versus the heat game. Uh, And that was, that was, I believe they were using direct TV as their distributor, but I was pretty impressed with the setup in this place, though. When they flipped the switch, every TV mm-hmm. suddenly switched over to the game, and that was uh, oh wow! I was quite impressed with how they were able to do that with the remote controls. And uh, anyway, had it been a while, AV installation and matrix switchers, my friend. I'm, I'm learning more you. about that stuff at work. I'm telling you, <laughs> but I realized too, it had been quite a while since I'd been in an environment like that, and it was right. uh, good to see. Good to see some local establishments doing it right and providing a. A fun group experience for a game like that. I'm just always excited when there's a, a television in a bar or other environment and, it, you know, the colors are remotely in the neighborhood of what they should be and nobody's head is the wrong shape because somebody hated letterboxing on boobies and stuff. True that. So I get excited about the little things. I did. I hate to say it, but yeah, the critical eye. I did notice certain certain displays within this environment were definitely, they could use some luminous matching in terms of uh, they were <laughs> different brightness levels on different screens. And I was like, ah, <laughs> we should we should go find a happy medium and get everything pretty close but Uh, but please that was not the point (laughs) rob and i are both guilty of like being stuck in a hotel and fixing all of the settings on the hotel like if we have access to the settings like i know i've seen you like do it and we've done it in hotels where like you go in there and you're like nope fix that 16 by 9 turn that down why is this so blue and you just go in there and googling how uh, to defeat hospitality mode on the tv set you're currently (laughs) operating or how to dig into the service menu with a with a regular remote control if you didn't happen uh, to bring a service remote or know the code offhand anyway yeah i don't it may speak to the, the 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 low rent nature of my usual hotel accommodations but there's been a decided lack of sophisticated controls from the hospitality center over it but it's interesting to read about that stuff and how much work actually having a hospitality system in a hotel or motel lowers the amount of mayhem or the amount of additional work that the hotel staff has to do. Um, weird sidebar. I'll walk away from it. Uh, I have a TikTok video I have to send you of some insane uh, motorcycle race, <laughs> GP race, where somebody's like avoiding a crash by doing a wheel stand while somebody basically turns under his helmet. Oof. Um, I mentioned that because it's time to talk about what we're watching. And my entire world of video is pretty much at this point 
outside of my desperate attempts to find all the 4K movies on on uh, Max, no longer HBO Max, uh, is all about the last couple episodes of Ted Lasso and the last couple episodes of The Fabulous Mrs. Maisel uh, because they're the end of the season and the series. And uh, I'm very emotionally invested in these two shows. (laughs) So... I cannot think of anything I'm really up to right now, watching-wise, other than the traditional sporting events I'm, I'm trying to absorb here and there. Uh, you and your summer and you're going outside. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> we have a uh, – our local community is having a quote-unquote cherry festival, which has been on hiatus for the last few years due to a certain – outbreak <laughs> that, that kept everything on the download for too long. So this will be the first year back and it's usually a very popular community event. And nice. I'm really kind of looking forward to that. Our club usually has a booth where we give away free, free gifts to kids and uh, have a good day of it. But we have this spinning wheel that everyone comes up to, to spin the wheel. <laughs> everyone wins a prize. But after about five hours of listening to that wheel spin and that clickety clack sound, I am ready for a drink. Uh, it is it is slow torture. I mean, as as much happiness as we're bringing to the community with the freebies and whatnot, uh, the noise. I might I may wear earplugs that day. I, I will see. But uh, there are worse I am, things. I'm looking forward to the food trucks. I'm looking forward to the parade. They usually have a classic car show. One of those, you know, traditional city events that brings people together usually hopefully on a warm the drought warm, hasn't killed day. the cherry trees oh there are no cherry trees left in this town anymore it's more oh. symbolic at this <laughs> a point vestigial yes ceremony uh, i forget when although the local cherry farmers do show up and can bring some of their very best and that tends to be super popular as well just simply mm. buying a bag of cherries for the day but yeah the city that is hosting this at one time in the uh, a long time ago, used to have cherry trees up the wazoo, but no, not so much anymore. Now it's been replaced with public transit systems and hospitals, and <laughs> any flat piece of uh, farmland has since been uh, paved over and uh, yeah. transformed accordingly. But anyway, wow, it's like a hundred hundredth anniversary or man. something. It's been happening for a long time, and uh, I I enjoy the day. So just buy some cherries from somewhere else <laughs> totally and i'm hitting up the food trucks <laughs> surely there's a 4k youtube video that's nothing but cherry trees in japan or dc <laughs> i'll be taking advantage of that. our uh, our city's <laughs> wi-fi system which i have to admit is pretty effective for just uh, covering the downtown area with you know city wi-fi that's free to use i think is wonderful good for them yeah it's one of those little things just adds to it all it's a beautiful thing. With that, ladies and gentlemen, if you got a question for us, if you want to point something out, curious about something, want to make sure we know about it, do us a favor. Email us, ask at avxl.com. Tweet at Robert Heron or at Patrick Norton or at avxl. Uh, and as always, a big thank you to our patrons. And if you want to become a patron, thank you. Head on over to patreon.com slash avxl. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on avxl.